Creative Sandbox Way podcast, episode 187. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I believe that life is too short not to express the innate creativity inside of you. So I wrote a book called The Creative Sandbox Way, based around 10 guideposts that I developed to get myself out of creative stuck and back to the sense of playful creativity that I naturally had when I was a four-year-old. That book was just the tip of the iceberg. I continue the conversation with this podcast. Let's jump in. Daphne Cohn is a queen of stories. She teases stories out of other people on her podcast, The Creativity Habit, and in the story sessions that she does with artists to help them sell more art. And she connects the dots in all of those stories in a way that is almost magical. She calls herself a story whisperer, and it's an apt title. And yet, like many of us, me included, (laughs) it took Daphne a long time to grow into her superpowers. She spent many years living out of alignment. And that's where she was when I first met her online a number of years ago. And that lack of alignment between what she was doing and who she was inside was big enough that I could feel it. And when I stumbled across her podcast, The Creativity Habit, in iTunes a few years ago, when I was looking for podcasts to reach out to to see if I could be a guest, I almost didn't reach out to her because I wasn't sure if we would connect because I remembered that feeling of lack of alignment. But her podcast, The Creativity Habit, really spoke to me. And I have to admit, it also triggered my comparison trap gremlins. (laughs) But that's not a surprise because everything triggers my comparison trap gremlins or my biggest gremlins. And thankfully, I didn't let my gremlins stop me. And I'm really grateful that I did reach out to Daphne and I didn't let my gremlins stop me because now she is in such alignment and she's doing what she's meant to be doing. And she just glows. And I felt a profound soul deep connection with her, like kindred spirits, soul sisters. And so of course, I had to have her on the podcast. And Daphne did not hold back in this conversation. She talked about that lack of alignment. She talked about where it came from and how she got stuck there, what led to it, and how she got from there to where she is now in this deep sense of being aligned, doing what she's supposed to be doing. And I learned a lot from our conversation, and I hope it inspires you. So enjoy my conversation with Daphne Cohn of the Creativity Habit Podcast. Daphne Cohn asks questions for a living. She interviews artists and makers for the Creativity Habit Podcast, the practice behind the art, the story behind the artist. And I was lucky enough to be 
interviewed on The Creativity Habit. And Daphne also conducts story sessions, helping artists sell more art. As she says, the art market online and off is saturated, noisy, and competitive. The way to create real lasting connection, build trust, and rise above the noise is through personal, honest stories. Story sessions uncover the stories that inspire, connect, and ultimately lead to more sales. And I can attest to the power of stories and those personal connections leading to sales, both as an artist and as a customer as well. And as we were chatting before starting this conversation, Daphne shared that she is also creating a community in response to the question, how do we meet a world gone mad with love and creativity? Welcome, Daphne. Thank you, Melissa. It's so great to be here with you. It's so wonderful to have you. So Daphne, first of all, you know, we originally met, I don't even remember where we met, but we met years and years ago online. And then I encountered you again when I was doing a search in iTunes for podcasts that I might be a guest on. And I saw the creativity habit and I thought, oh, well, that looks interesting. And then I recognized, oh, Daphne Cohn, is that the same Cohn <laughs> that I knew years and, and years you ago? you were part of a telesummit for me. You did a video. That's for- right. Yes. That's right. I did a yes. video so long ago. Yes. Yeah. So it was so fun to reconnect with you. And I know it took a really long time to get onto your podcast. And I, I sent off an email and didn't hear from you. And I thought, that's fine, whatever. And then you got back to me. And I have to say that being on your podcast, The Creativity Habit, was one of the most unique and profound podcast guest experiences I have ever had. You truly are a story whisperer. You have this incredible ability to draw stories out of people. And as you know, I'm, I'm like an open book. I mean, I'm, you are. You make I, it easy. I'm, I'm like, I will tell you anything. I'm, I have no problem sharing my story, but you have this. And I'm also, as you, as you know, I, I'm a dot connector. So I, I like to look back at my own story. I like to look at other people's stories and connect the dots, but you have this amazing ability to look at somebody's story and tease out like meaning and insights from their stories. And you reflected back to me my own story in a way that was so profound for me. It was truly transformative. And I'm so grateful for that experience. Thank you. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to me to have you say that. And yeah, so thank you. So what I'm curious about is, you know, when we first met, online and I participated in this summit that you ran that I don't even remember what the summit was about, but it seemed to me that where you were then, which was, I don't know, maybe it was about marketing or something like that to, to what you're doing now with the creativity habit podcast, that seems like quite a change. So can you talk about how you got into this podcast 
and now building this community and the story sessions and what you're doing now, what got you here? What's the story yeah, there? Okay. So it started around 2008, 2009. And I went in to the online world through food and nutrition, because really what I wanted to talk about was love. And so, and so the way I framed it then was self-love through self-care. And I thought, okay, I can talk about food. That's a way in to that topic. And, and I built the first business I had online in health and wellness. And one of the ways that I built it was I had taken a course with someone whose name I don't remember anymore on, I don't even remember what the course, it was like using some kind of equipment or something. I can't remember what it was, but what came out of it was I thought, oh, maybe I'll do, maybe it was audio recordings or something. I mean, it was something that back then there wasn't a lot of, I don't remember. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll, I'll audio record. I'll, I'll read books because I love to read. And then I'll do reviews online, like record them and whatever. And my husband said, well, what about if you interview the art, the writers? And I thought, huh, that's an interesting idea. Let, I'll see. I'll, I'll invite them and I'll see, thinking no one's going to say yes. You know, I read these books and I started to send out invitations. And because this was so early in the Telesummit interview podcast era, so many people at the time said yes, that even years later, when I would write to people of similar caliber, it could be really hard to get any kind of response, let alone a yes or a no. It was just, it was the right time. And so I started interviewing people. And at the time before every interview, I would say for 48 hours, I would be almost sick to my stomach. I was so nervous. I was terrified. Like seriously, I was terrified, but I still loved it. And it was working for me as a business tool. It was building my list. It was getting me out there. So it was helping me from a marketing and business perspective. And I actually really enjoyed it. I was having these incredible conversations with these authors, these spiritual teachers, these health experts, like people, some people, people know like Marie Forleo or Gabby Bernstein or Debbie Ford or Byron Katie, some names like that. And then other lesser known people is kind of a combination of both. But I was getting to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. And I thought, this is incredible. So I kept doing that on and off over the years. And I went from health and wellness, which was basically helping, it turned into helping women lose weight. And I was like, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> what was I thinking? I wasn't thinking. Like, of course, if I'm going to talk about food, that's where it's going to go. But, or at least that's where it went with me. And, and so I got out of that. I had my one mini crisis of I built this thing up and I don't like it anymore. It's not what I want to do. And then hired a coach. I'm going to try to make this as succinct as possible, but I hired a coach who was a good coach. And what she said to me was, well, you built this first thing all by yourself. Why don't, why don't you be a business coach? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. I have no training. And this was business coaching industry, right? Like yeah. this was really taking off. People were paying all sorts of money. I paid a ton of money for this business coach. And I was like, oh, yeah. 
okay, I'll be a business coach. Well, meanwhile, I know one way to build <laughs> a business and that was my business and it worked for me. And so I still feel while I had some great, great clients, I still feel a little bit like, damn, what the hell? Like what kind of advice was that? <laughs> but I did do it for like three years, I think, because it was profitable and it was working. And at the same time, internally, I was, this isn't right. Oh, wow. But during that time, I kept interviewing. Like that's, you were part of a summit at some point. I don't remember like which iteration of my online personality was out there, but at some point you were part of the summit that I did. And so I kept doing summits because they were at that time still a really great way to grow the list and to get your name out there and to meet people and make connections and and provide really valuable information for free. I mean, it was a win-win-win. That's how I saw it. Like that's what I loved about it. And then though I had my second kind of crisis of confidence that I can't do this. I have to stop this. This is wrong. So I want to ask about that because what what was it that made you feel that this is wrong? What felt out of alignment to you? I had no training. Like, it's like if someone says, I have a great marriage. Let me tell you, I'm now a marriage counselor. It's like, I'm sure you've learned things in your marriage. I have no doubt that you have things to offer. But seriously, now you're a marriage counselor? <laughs> like, you have one example. Your partner. That's it. Like, that's so that was what it was. Yep. It was just that just the whole industry at that time had zero accountability. Yeah. And so for honestly, I think for someone to suggest to me, and I take full responsibility, this is not blaming someone else. And for someone to say, Oh, why don't you become a business coach? It's like looking back at that, if I would if I could go back to the situation while I don't believe that. I would change things necessarily because one thing leads to the next, leads to the next. I would say, that's wrong. Like, that's just shitty advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there was that. And that led to, you know, a little bit kind of moving. That was a slow moving out and trying to figure out how can I do this with integrity and all of that. And And I had learned a huge amount over the years, like as I was coaching, I was taking courses, I'd taken a lot of courses. So it wasn't that I hadn't been training myself. In some ways, I had now several years in the field and taking courses and working with coaches, but it still didn't feel like what I wanted to be doing and it didn't feel right. And so then I took a break and I tried different things and they kind of all floundered and I didn't know what the hell I was doing with my life. And I had this moment where we had moved and I was, we're now in Asheville, North Carolina. And I was looking out of my office window at the mountains, just standing there looking out. And I heard this voice say to me, an experiment in creative living. And I didn't know what it meant, but I got like goosebumps and I got like all the things that is like, oh, there's something here. I don't know what, but there's something here. And that's what started me down this path of creativity. I started reading books. I started taking classes about creativity. I'd never thought of myself as creative. 
all of this and I just dove into the world of creativity and I thought, oh, now I'm home. These, this, this is it. These are, this, this, these are my people. This is my work. This is it. This is where life makes sense. So, yeah. Wow. So what kinds of classes were you taking? Um, what did I take? Oh gosh, you're asking such hard questions. <laughs> you're asking me to go back in my memory. Let's see. Um, I took a lot of classes through Creative Live, and I'm trying to remember what they were, but there were several on creativity. I remember I read books like uh, Creativity by that man whose name who wrote Flow, who has a really oh, long name. And- Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And things like, and big magic. And I have a whole bunch on my bookshelf and I'm not in front of my bookshelf, but I would just read, I read uh, the book Imagine by Jonah Lair, which has had some negative press, but it was also a really good book. And this was several years ago. So I'm trying to remember there were, I would say there was just a, a handful of books and I'll have to, maybe I can send you them and you can include some in the show notes or something. Sure. Yeah. And then the most important thing, though, for me was that I started interviewing creatives because mm. that's always that's always a really powerful way for me to dive into a field. And so I would I started interviewing all these different creatives and having conversations with people who had chosen different paths, who were guided by a different light, by a different compass, you know, who thought differently than most people who saw things differently than most people, which is not to say that we're not all creative, but people, I feel that people who pursue a creative path in some form or another do that because they feel compelled by this difference, by the different way they see the world, by the different way they fit in the world, by the ways they hear things or experience things, something in them compels them to follow the creative urge. And then, and so they show up differently in the world. And I love having conversations with people like that. And yeah, so that is how I started the Creativity Habit podcast. What is it about having the conversations that's so important to you? It's not to say anything negative about small talk. I totally, I actually have a lot of respect for small talk because somebody once taught me a really powerful lesson around that, which we can get to or not, but that gave me respect for small talk. And at the same time, there is something about being able to dive right in to what is most important to a person in their life, or at least one aspect that is so important that they have devoted so much of themselves to it and it expresses so much of who they are. And so to be able to go right into that and to basically explore this question of what does it mean to be human through painting, through dance, through writing, through photography, whatever that is. But what does it mean? I want to understand what your life is like as a person. So there's that deep connection that gets formed. There's this, I receive always so much insight from every interview I do. Like I'm always, always amazed by what comes out of the interviews. But also 
there's something magical that happens when somebody feels seen. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful thing to witness. So there's that piece of it too. It's like, that's both a gift I feel that I give, but it's a gift that I receive. Mm. And yeah. So the whole experience for me is magical. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a gift that you give to the world and your ability as a story whisperer is so powerful. It's you. I, I love your podcast. It's so different from other, other, I mean, there's so many interview podcasts out there, but you have this really special way of allowing people, giving them the gift with your story whispering ability of really diving in and opening up in a way that typical interviews don't always do and sharing, discovering through the process of the interview things about themselves that they may not already even know and sharing that with us, which is so powerful because then we get to recognize ourselves or how we're different, how we're similar, all of that. That for me is so powerful. Exactly. Exactly. And that's actually another piece about the story part is it's, we tend to complete to undervalue our stories. And so I love to go into the story because I find that stories that people think, oh, well, that's not so important or that doesn't really lead anywhere or whatever, that thing just happened and maybe I see it as a failure, I see it as a mistake or I wish it hadn't happened, that in the course of hearing story after story, you can see, oh, there's so much value in that story or it's it reveals such a beautiful part of who you are or so there's this amazing thing that happens too when somebody gets to tell their story and have their story heard which is they get to get reflected back to them the value of their story and i really think that we are facing this crisis of loneliness and a lack of belonging and like the numbers are have i think that it, it's something like well, first of all, one in four people don't have a, someone they can confide in. So that in and of itself is, is huge. And then in England, they now have a minister of loneliness. There's the, I've talked to a number of therapists who say the amount of people they're seeing for anxiety and, and, and loneliness has gone up exponentially in the last several years. So it's, it's reaching crisis level. And when we engage in deep conversation and actually see and hear one another, that eases. You know, that's how we, and when we hear each other's story and know we're not alone, yeah. oh, yes, I can relate. Oh, Melissa, she has all this stuff she's done in her life. It's so amazing. But she struggled with that? Oh, my gosh. So, oh, okay. So I'm not so screwed up. Like, okay, you know, we're all in this together. Like, we all go through this. Yeah. That's really important to me to have that be communicated. Also, because we live in this age of look how great my life is. Yeah, right. Which is extremely demoralizing. You know, it's like, <laughs> totally. damn, my life doesn't look like that. But we make it look like that. And then we, it hurts all of us. Right. Yeah. yeah. And one of my mentors, Patty Dye, who's actually, after I, I see you, Daphne and I are going to see each other. 
in the flesh uh, at the end of the month, actually, as, as I'm recording this, after and after I see you, I'm going to this camp, Life is a Verb Camp, and the woman who started this camp, who's a best-selling author, Patty Dye, at one of the things that she says that I absolutely love is the closest distance between two people is a story or the shortest distance between two people is a story. And it's so true. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. Yeah. it's beautiful. So one of the things that you wrote when I was, I had, I have all my guests fill out a little questionnaire. And one of the things that you wrote uh, sort of talking points or things that you might want to discuss is the idea of creativity as a personal choice. And I don't know if you even remember writing that, but I, I, I saw that. And I was like, huh, I wonder where I was coming at. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really love this concept. And I'd love to discuss that because it's got, it really has me thinking. It has me thinking about, you know, I had a great long stretch of time in my life where I considered myself a non creative person, not, not just not an artist, but a fully non-creative person. And I, and I heard you say something really similar. And now, you know, and, it, and when I started doing artistic things, it, and, you know, artsy craftsy things and whatever, and even doing calligraphy and art with the intention of becoming an artist, you know, and selling my work, it took me two solid years refer to myself as an artist. And there were some very awkward moments when people asked me at, you know, the events at my synagogue, whatever. So what do you do? And I, I remember one time saying, well, I, I don't know. I think I said like, I style myself an artist or like I do sort of, I kind of sort of do art and, you know, th- I mean, just like, Oh, it was so painfully awkward and weird. And now I don't, I no longer do art on commission. I no longer do art for sale that, you know, like I don't, people don't pay me to make art for them. I make art for the joy of it. And it took me part of the part of what allowed me to call myself an artist was when I was making money from my art, because we live in this capitalist materialistic society. And so we place a lot of value on things where there's money involved, right? And now there's, I have drawn a line between art and commerce in, in my life in, in very particular ways. And yet I claim that title very powerfully. Hmm. I'm an artist. I claim it. So very strongly, I, I, creativity is a personal choice in my life. And as far as like making art, most of like day to day, it's maybe 10 minutes where I'm like literally making art, but I do lots of creative things throughout my day. Like today, I probably spent 45 minutes practicing a speech that is filled with singing and creative things and and it's all about getting people creating. So there's a lot of art in there, right? And I spent a lot of time working on my, you know, say a sales page for my creative sandbox community that has 
artistic things in it and a lot of creative thinking going into that. So there's a lot of blurring of the lines, right? But the amount of time where I'm playing in the creative sandbox and doing things for the joy of it and just like really making art, maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day, most days. And yet I call myself an artist. No bones about it. So creativity is a personal choice in how I choose to set up my day, how I, I choose to do deep dives, like going to creativity retreats, hosting creativity retreats, my creative sandbox retreats, going to say life is a verb camp, going to conferences, things like that. Um, there are many different ways that I prioritize creativity in my life. That's how I see creativity as a, as a personal choice. And I'm curious about, about you. Like, what does that mean for you? Well, I love that. I love the different ways that you shared about that. And so I want to address, I want to start with the artist piece because that was something that really struck me in my interviews was here I was, I'm interviewing people who are all artists. Like that's how I found them, you know, and artists, like I say, I use artists a little loosely. So some people might define as a fine artist. For me, it can be a filmmaker. It can be a painter. It can be a dancer. It can be a jeweler. There's a lot of different ways, a baker, a lot of different ways that we create. Uh, But what I kept hearing over and over again was how hard it often was for these people, and the majority of them are women, to call themselves an artist. Not anymore. Usually by the time I'm interviewing them, they're like, no, now I'm an artist. Like, I get it. It's my living. It's what I'm doing for a living for most of the people I interview. But so it's like you say, Melissa, it's we have this thing. If I'm getting paid for it, a lot of times that's the thing. Oh, well, now I'm an artist because someone's paying me. and. What's interesting is I had one woman, Sanal Natwani, who had been a, who'd been paid for art and for 17 years, she was painting. She was teaching people how to paint. She's a beautiful painter. She was selling her paint. She was selling cards. She had stuff in stores. It took 17 years before she called herself an artist. And for her, what it was, was when she finally had her own art studio, she's like, oh, well, now I have to be an artist. <laughs> I have to live into this. But and then on the other side of that was someone I interviewed, Ekaterina Popova, who she said she, was, she went to art school, but she said, I had to call myself an artist to keep me going. So mm-hmm. I would tell myself every day, I am an artist. And that's one piece of creativity as a personal choice is what I saw over and over is ultimately it's always us. Like it's you, you claim it now. You're like, dude, I may spend 15 minutes a day in it. I may, however long, but I am an artist. Nobody can take that away from you because you are calling yourself that. And that is the thing that's so fascinating is we think somebody has to give us that title. But the truth is, even if they do, it doesn't actually mean anything until we claim it. And we can claim it at any time. And I think some of that starts as very little kids. I was talking with another creative person just the other day, and she said, 
when I would tell people as a kid that I wanted to grow up and be an artist, they would say, oh, can you draw? Which is really, <laughs> but that's really interesting because if you ask a kid, what do you want to be? And they say a doctor, you don't ask them, oh, how's oh. your tutoring technique? Like, you don't, you don't expect them to, <laughs> like, you don't, we play weird thing around art. Like, it's not a skill. It's not something you develop. And, and you have to be this to be an artist or whatever you have to quote unquote be able to draw or so it's absurd. It's totally absurd. So I think that that's one piece of creativity is a personal choice. I think um, what you, the other thing you allude to Melissa, which is I'm not creative. I don't see myself as creative. Rob Bell is someone that I adore. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was a former pastor. I'm Jewish, but I, he's, he's now a spiritual teacher and he speaks my language. So I don't care what words he uses. He speaks my language and he has a podcast and he's fantastic. And he wrote a book. I don't, you can see I'm not great with names, so I don't remember the name of the book. <laughs> this is very common. This is just, you know, but, um, names and dates, like really not my strength. But So he wrote a book, and in this book, which is a great book, he says we are all creatives because we're creators. Like That's what we do. We create all the time. We create conversation. We create meals. We create the schedule for our day. We create children. You know, we create relationships. Like we are creators and therefore we are creative. And this, we've done such a number on ourselves about what it means to be creative. Even as I was doing the Creativity Habit podcast, it took me a long time before I could be like, oh, I'm creative. Which is absurd. I'm like, it's, just, it's ridiculous, but it's it's so deep. And one one last thing I'll share was the same woman that I was talking with about being an artist. That you know, as a little kid, saying she wanted to be an artist. She said she took this class in college. It was an art class for non-art majors. And the first day of class, the teacher says, the professor says to them, "Okay." For those of you, if you don't have any artistic talent, you are not going to do well in this class. It was like, what the hell? <laughs> Seriously, like, what are we doing to each other? So, so it's this idea that we get to choose. We get to choose. And once we choose, nobody can take that from us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this whole idea of... You know, I, I'm not creative because I can't do X, draw or paint or live up to, you know, some very particular form of, I don't know, whatever, really pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine it does. <laughs> it is so ridiculously absurd. I was um, at my parents' house for dinner a few years ago and a cousin, a cousin's kid was there. I think he was 10. And we were talking about what, what he likes at what classes he liked at school or whatever. And he did not like art. 
And I asked him why. And he said, I, I think it really all boiled down to because he couldn't draw. He didn't, you know, because art was about drawing. And I was trying to sort of, you know, nudge that a little bit. And I don't, I don't know how successful I was, but I was trying to give him some, some sort of alternative, sort of, you know, push the envelope a little bit like, oh, do all artists, is that all they do is draw? Maybe, you know, there are artists who make baskets and artists who make things out of clay and artists who do all kinds of different things. And, and I could see he was sort of, the gears were turning a little bit. I don't think that that one dinner necessarily (laughs) changed his ideas about art class, but it really ticked me off, you know, that, that kids are being turned off so early and, you know, getting these creativity scars. Yeah. I was in second grade. I can still see the picture. I made a picture of an owl in a tree. And I think it was more like there was a hole in the tree. You know, when you're seven, you draw this long, this tree, and then you draw a hole in it to indicate that that's where an animal is. And I put an owl in there and I I don't remember the owl, but I remember that my art teacher came around and I loved this picture. I was, I felt like this was a fantastic tree and a fantastic owl. And the art teacher came around, picked it up and said, like, what is that? And I told him, he said, it doesn't look anything like an owl in a tree. <laughs> yeah. And I seriously, that was the moment I decided, oh, I'm not the artist. I'm not an artist. My sister's an artist because she could draw. My sister's an artist. I'm not an artist. I'll pursue something else. Like yeah. I won't. I, and I don't remember doing any art. Like I'm sure I did some art after that, but I, I don't remember doing art after that. In one sentence. He yes. just completely shut you down. Yeah. And I am, I'm sure that was not his intention, but we can be so unconscious around it. Yeah. Especially with little kids where we're so impressionable. And yeah. 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 Wow. So you had another bullet point here on the the list of things that you sent me that was says doubt, fear, and being real. Well, I want to speak first to the being real. So I've had this, I th- what I have heard over and over in interviews and with people who I haven't interviewed, but people who are in my community are this fear the, that if we share ourselves if we share the stuff we make, no one will like it. And the pain of rejection of sharing something that comes from you can be terrifying. And every artist and maker that I've interviewed has experienced that same fear. And that was important for me to see that there was not a single person who not only experienced that, but still experiences it. And to keep sharing your work, no matter where you're at, actually, some it gets easier, I think, for a lot of people. And you get a lot more validation if your people are liking it and they're buying it. And that can also be a trap because some of the artists I would talk with would say, yeah, People are buying this, they, they love this style and they keep buying the same paintings. And so I would say, well, how about experimenting? How is that for you? you know, how are you, are you able to bring in new things? 
I say, yeah, I'm working on that. It's hard because now everybody knows me as this. And so I'm scared to bring in this. And so we always, that's always a part of the journey. And I think that was a valuable teaching for me. And it's a teaching that I like to put out there is when we share ourselves, it can be really scary. Yeah. And I believe that what we are aching for as humans is to have others share themselves, not like imitations of not what we think the person wants, but just to share who we are, even if we don't know who we are. It's like, I don't really know. I don't understand who I am, but I made this thing and that's where I'm at right now. So that's what I'm going to share. I remember speaking with Lisa Congdon, who's one of one of the more well-known artists, especially online, has a huge thriving practice. And she talked about social media anxiety, that she deals with that on a regular basis. I'm like, damn, if Lisa's dealing with social media anxiety, I don't know what this holds in store for me. <laughs> but but that's the thing. It doesn't, that sharing of oneself is, it's hard. I think it's just hard. And yet we're so desperate for it. Yeah. And I, I have made this commitment recently, which has come as a result of working with this dear friend of mine, that what's most important for me is to speak from truth and from love. And like, just to keep coming back to that. That was the thing I want to say. So I started with self-love through self-care. I entered in wanting to talk about love it was only in the last two months that I came back fully to love because what happened was I felt in my thirties, early thirties, that people weren't taking me seriously, that I would talk about love. Oh, look at the little white girl. She's so sweet. She's like so naive, blah, blah, blah. Like she's so Pollyannish. And I was like, Oh, maybe I am. Maybe I haven't suffered enough. You know, So I'm not, I'm going to back off from love because people don't take me seriously. And I'm, I tried to get edgy. I tried to get sassy. I tried to like have personality that was like badass. You know, I did all of that. And it was never me. But I was like, this is what people want. They want angry Daphne or they want like hip chick Daphne, like whatever. But it was that same kind of thing I'm talking about, about trying to give the public what we think the public wants. And I realize now that love is extremely courageous. It takes a tremendous amount of strength and it takes a huge amount of vulnerability. And there's nothing I want to devote my life to more than that and to telling the truth about who I am, which is an ongoing process because that's, it's just scary. It's hard. But what I saw as I got older and I did go through hard stuff, it's like, oh, okay, now I've been through hard stuff. And you know what? I still want to come back to love. I still want to talk about love. It's not, it doesn't feel naive. It doesn't feel Pollyanna. It feels so important. It feels so real. It feels like what I'm here for. And so I think when we talk about doubt and fear and real, that's all embedded in that, which is the doubt, which keeps us from saying, oh, this is what feels true to me, but I don't know what will people think. And the fear of, well, I'm too scared, so I'm not going to do it. And then the real of, screw it, I am going to do it. 
and just knowing it's scary. And yeah, and then figuring out, well, what am I going to do with that fear? Am I going to have that run it? It's not going away. So since it's going to be here, how am I going to work with it? And for me, I find that taking action is the best way to work with it. Just go, okay, I'm scared. Send. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a, a listener spotlight interview with another artist, Anya Archer, uh, who I who was a part of my community for my online community, the Creative Sandbox community for a while, and we follow each other on Instagram. And she just did a an Instagram live, crediting me because because of our conversation that we had. She had been scared of. She wanted to draw animals, but she was really scared of drawing animals. And because of our conversation, she decided to take that on. She's doing these monthly challenges for herself. She decided to take that on. I said, what if you, what if you made crappy animals? What if you just like, that was your goal to make crappy animals. And she said, (laughs) Oh yeah, I could do that. (laughs) She started to do that. And she she shared, she did in, in her Instagram story today. Uh, a, a little video and credited me with this is why she's you know taking this on. So I shared that in my Instagram story, her you know her video because it makes me so happy that yeah. she you know she decided to confront that fear and take it on. And this is my experience. This is this is why I have a practice of sharing whatever I'm making in my studio and why why I share my doodles and why even when I feel like they're crappy, I share them. Because when only when you confront that fear and take action on it, like you said, will it dissipate? It's not going to dissipate if you just sit on it. It's just going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And like you said, the people who look like my, you know, social media heroes or whatever, their fears are no less than ours. And in fact, they have a lot more to lose than than we do. Because if you've got a million followers. Then you've got exponentially more people, no more eyeballs on you, right? So the yeah. fear just gets bigger. And the, the challenge that I have experienced is at first, when I'm trying something new, it's freaking scary, right? Everything you do is freaking scary, and you just got to start. That's guidepost number five of my creative sandbox way guidepost. Just start and just, you know, stay in the process. Guidepost number two, think process, not product, and just, you know, start making messes. And try things, and eventually, you know, at first it'll be disgusting and ugly. But you're in the creative sandbox, so it's it's not about the outcome anyway. You're in the process, just making things, and you might hate everything that you create. But eventually, you might start to like things, and you'll you'll get into a groove, right? That's that's how the creative process works. And then you're in your groove, and you're creating things, and sometimes you hate them, and sometimes you like them, and and you get in this nice nice little groove. Well, eventually. And then maybe you start getting validation, right? Well, that feels good. So you keep making those things. There's more incentive to make more things that are similar, right? More things that are similar. Well, eventually you start to get bored with that. And that's when you get into that rut. But if you've gotten enough validation, then it's really hard to step out of that rut. The rut's pretty deep. And climbing out of it's challenging because now you have to dive straight back into that uncertainty, into that black hole where it feels like you might get sucked in, you're never going to find your way back out again. And really, really, really scary. But if we're going to be authentic, 
if we're going to be true to ourselves as creators, where we are constantly having to be exploring and trying new things, then that's what we have to do. We have to dive back into that uncertainty and try things. And if, for me, if my practice is to continually be trying things and sharing them and letting go of the outcome, I'm just putting it out there. This is what I'm doing in the creative sandbox, not to impress you, not to get a little star, not to get validation from your like, but simply because it's my practice, then it's not nearly as scary because it's simply my practice. Yes. And to also be gentle with oneself of, oh, I care about the likes. Like it does affect me for some people they get to a place where it affects them less and less but uh, it does affect me and you know what that's human like yes. that's why it's designed this way that's why instagram works the way it works yeah because it is human we want to fit in we want to belong we want to be loved that's what we want more than anything of course so random likes from people we've never met take on all this meaning which i am absolutely not free of and, and so it's, but, so it's good to just like recognize, okay, I am, it means a lot to me that this got all these likes, or I'm really struggling because this didn't, and I'm tempted to take it down because not enough likes are on. And that's human. Yes. Like it's okay. I'm being human. That yeah. is self-compassion. Yeah. I said to my husband the other day, I said, he was telling me about some new like disease in the, we don't talk about this on a regular basis, but there was like the the book, you know, that has the, all lists all the diseases. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so whatever that's called, right? Because names. And he was talking about how there's now pages and pages on anxiety where there used to just be a few. There's like dozens and dozens of things. And I said, soon they're just going to have one that says being human. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like... There are so many things we're ashamed about and it's really just being human. And then if we can acknowledge that, oh, okay, there I am being human again. Damn human. Like that's just what it is. But yeah. Well, then that is the definition of self-compassion is mindfulness, first of all. And second of all, acknowledging that you're human, acknowledging common humanity. And then the third piece is the self-kindness piece. Those are the three elements of self-compassion as defined by Dr. Kristen Neff, who is the world's foremost expert on self-compassion. Who wrote the book, literally, on self-compassion called Self-Compassion. That's the title I remember. That's good. (laughs) So anyway, I realize that we are at the top of the hour, so I want to be respectful of your time. But I was wondering if you had brought something cool to share. Okay. So I had one, a few things that are, two of them are apps. So just to get you more online, if you're not online enough, but actually this one's an interesting one. So speaking of self-compassion, this actually ties in perfectly. There's an app called One Giant Mind, the number one giant mind. It's a meditation app. And I, I love it because you can set it, I think, 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, uh, and 30 minutes, I think. But you go through 12 days first. They have a 12-day course. It's all free and then a 30-day. And the man who leads it is so great. He's like, oh, 
you have thoughts come in. Yeah, that's cool. That's all part of it. Oh, you're falling asleep. Yeah, that's cool. It's all part of it. Like there's so much permission. And I think there's such a same as an artist. I don't know. I'm not good at meditating. It's like, well, (laughs) if you think it's having no thoughts, I don't know who's good at meditating. But the point, like, so it's that same idea of if you just sit down and I find listening to him and then it goes into just music. It's not a guided meditation. It's such a relaxing way to ease into the day. So that's for people who either want to meditate and find it challenging or they want an easier way to um, have something that they can just turn on through their phone and sit with and, and yeah, meditate. So that's one giant mind. And then I love that. Yeah. That's perfect. That's, okay, that's great. great for me. I've been meditating since I discovered, because I'm like you, I thought I suck at meditating. I can never do this because I had been taught that meditation was clearing your mind of thought, which I'm like incapable of doing. Well, of course, I'm incapable of doing it because I'm human. Right, exactly. <laughs> and minds are made to think. Exactly. So, then I discovered Susan Piver's Open Heart Project. Oh, nice. And she taught me, I, like when the, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, right? And she appeared when I was ready. And that completely changed me. And like, oh my God, I, now I love, I love meditation now. So, I'm, and I do it on a, on a good week. I do it 10 minutes a day. Yeah. And sometimes I just do a little placeholder of if it's, if I'm really rushed, then I'll do it five minutes or two minutes just to hold my spot so that I'm still getting a little meditation in. And then there's times where I completely fall off the wagon. Right. But- right. <laughs> I mean, of course. And, and I'll just say this, the a coach that we had for a long time, he would say, celebrate everything you do approximately right. So everything. Oh, I love that. Yes. So you meditate for two minutes? Yes, I meditated for two minutes. That's so awesome. And then move on. Yeah, totally. I love that. Well, I'm going to share this week something cool. It's going to sound like an advertisement. I get no kickbacks from this at all. And I know there are other podcasts that actually advertise this, like they're sponsored. They they have this as a paid sponsor, but it's it's a mouthwash. <laughs> Because my husband has really bad breath. And then I heard about this smart mouth mouthwash on another podcast. And I thought, well, I'm going to have him try it. And he was willing. And it really works. So he doesn't have bad breath anymore. And so what it is, it's it's two different liquids that mix together in the glass. And I don't know, they somehow kill the, uh, the sulfur compounds in your mouth and it lasts for 12 hours. So you use it before you go to bed and then you use it when you wake up in the morning. And well, it has really transformed <laughs> our like ability to be, you know, in close proximity with each yes. other. So it's, uh, I, it's, it's pretty cool. It hasn't, it has a sort of an interesting smell to it. Um, and some people complain that they don't like the way it makes their food taste, but he, he hasn't complained about it. So you should get paid for that. I know. That was a seriously good advertisement. I know. I really, they should, they should sponsor the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) 
So anyway, that's my something cool. But Daphne, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm really looking forward to getting to see you in person very soon. Thank you. It was so fun. It went so fast. I I know, didn't it? Yeah, it went really fast. It was very fun. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Daphne Cohn. Let me know if you resonated and connect with me on LinkedIn or direct message with me on Instagram. And to dive deeper and meet other creative, open-hearted, and like-minded women from all over the world at every stage of the creative journey, join me in the Creative Sandbox community. It's a private online community where we support, encourage, and learn from each other. You can find inspiration every day in our online forum, which is not on Facebook. We are not feeding the Facebook monster. It's on a private, mobile-friendly network called Mighty Networks. And your membership includes my flagship seven-day e-course, Creative Sandbox 101, which is the course that inspired my book, The Creative Sandbox Way. And for a limited time, the basic membership level is half off. It's just $100 a year or $10 a month. You can check it out over at creativesandboxcommunity.com. That's creativesandboxcommunity.com. And I would love to welcome you inside. If you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment to hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. If you don't know how to do that, you can find step-by-step instructions at creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. And those ratings and reviews, writing a sentence or two, really makes a big difference because that is how you can help other people find the show. Because podcasts with more good reviews pop up higher in the search results when people are looking for new podcasts to listen to. So that's why it's really important to leave that rating and review. And if you email me to let me know you left a review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your life, that is how I choose people to be featured as listeners in the listener spotlight. So that's how you apply. And if I pick you, you, you we will have a really fun, relaxed conversation just like I had with Daphne, and you'll get to be featured on the podcast. Pretty cool. So... Thank you in advance. And that is it. Until next time, thanks again for joining me. And happy holidays, happy new year, and go get creating. Subscribe at creative sandboxway.com slash podcast.